You're so good at this, Christine. I don't think I am, but I'm enjoying talking to you. It's easy. People at Sasser, for some reason, really love like high quality tequila, right? It's like these things add up. Like, where's the return on this? Got a tattoo. Will, can we actually see the tattoo? Oh, you got a trip tip? <gasps> am I allowed to curse? We help our customers, blah, 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 and put that person to sleep. Use the menu approach. And I get a call from Brian over at Sasser, and he goes, you, you guys know you're not allowed to distribute that within the property, right? From the Demo Stack Studios in Scottsdale, Arizona, this is Go to Market This Week. Hi, Christine. How are you? Uh- so good. How are you this morning? I'm so excited because I've got Christine Rogers, the president and COO of Aspireship here in Phoenix with me for episode one of Go to Market This Week. So Christine, you are like the one original born and raised Arizona resident. Been here since like junior high. So I feel like native. Where are you from originally? All over the place. Before here was Philly. So back east for the most part. For the most part. I didn't realize that. I'm learning <laughs> yeah. something new. I'm yeah. learning something new. I know. And I love the story of how we met mm-hmm. because I had gotten into tech kind of by accident, didn't really know a lot of people, and then twice in the same day. Oh, that's so weird. Two people emailed and said, you two have to know each other. That was it. I know. Two great people, and that was just the strangest thing. We both got intros that same day, like, and then we met right after. Perfect. I know. How did you get into technology? Where did you start? Because you went to Arizona State. Mm-hmm. Works up. What'd you study at ASU? Criminal justice. So I thought I was going to be uh, going into law. <laughs> Interesting. Know. You know what, though? You're a great debater. Okay. So how did you go from studying that at ASU mm-hmm. to tech? Accidentally, like most of us. And right. so it wasn't anything that I was planning on. Had gotten into sales, insurance, became a business owner. And then um, actually, like that was like my dream, entrepreneurial, um, small business. It was a store, retail store. And then when really the first kind of recession point happened in like 08 to, you know, 10, that's when we had to close the store. And because I was a small business owner, the first company that I went to work with was all about small business success. It wasn't like I was thinking, let me get into tech, let me get into software. It's kind of by accident. I walked in to give a friend a a wedding gift and she said, I want you to meet somebody. And it was uh, a guy named Lou Caproletti. He was from Philly. So he's like, hey, she tells me you're from Philly. And so we start talking and I said, are you interviewing me? And he said, yeah. And I had no idea. You know, I was in there just to say hi. And so he started telling me about the company and said, you'd be amazing at selling this because you have an actual experience as a small business owner and the pain of it, and you'd be great at selling it. So yeah. your first role was at, as an IC? Yeah. How did that go? You know, I'm not awesome. Like, I'm a good I'm a good seller. I'm not, like, the best ever. So I have a great ability to relate to people. But I know myself, like, I'm a little bit um, too by the book on certain things. And, like, the best sellers in the world are, like, always flexible. And, like, it's there's, like, the lines, and they, like, ride the line. And I'm like, eh, oh, stay away from the line. Like that's a little bit more of my personality. So I'm great at leading sellers and I can understand the psychology of them and who they are. I'm not awesome at being the like best A plus plus top performing seller. I'm like, I'm all right. I'm all right. And I can tell you because Aspireship is across the street. Yeah. Uh, I've been in there many times. You are a great leader of people. And I yeah. think people follow you. One of the first things when we met was like, you need to come to Thursday Night Sales. Yeah. We'll talk about that because we are going to talk about some okay. really cool events that are coming up uh, next week that you definitely want to attend. So then you went to Infusionsoft, mm-hmm. MindBody, mm-hmm. 
how did you wind up as the president and COO at Aspireship with Corey? After I left Infusionsoft, um, I went actually to Booker, which was acquired by MindBody. So that, so, but as Booker, Booker had just acquired Corey's first company. So um, actually my very first day on the job, they said, okay, we acquired this business not that long ago. And Christine, tomorrow we need the sellers to start selling this other product. And I'm like, okay. Uh, so we had, you know, our core product and then his, you know, was our upsell product. And so right away I was just deep in it with Corey trying to learn the product, understand the motion. It was completely different, had a free trial. And I'm like, how are we supposed to sell into the base with a free trial that's going to do, you know, so we were right. just trying to figure all those things out together. So we got a chance to work pretty closely. And then when we were acquired by MindBody, I stayed for a time to kind of get our sales teams working together because MindBody and Booker were um, the top competitors of each other. So we kind of like, how are you going to be friends with people that you like went to battle (laughs) against, right? So my team was like, what? You know, and then um, it was a little, it felt a little David and Goliathy. And then we um, just helped get the teams working together. So Corey was a part of some of that in how do we make everything work. So he and I got pretty close in doing a bunch of, of this work together. So we knew how we worked well. So when it came time for him to start this company, he came directly to me and just said, this consistent problem we're seeing, people want to get into tech, but they can't. Even we would have like, you know, customer service and tech support people come to us and say, I want to pick up a quote. I think I could do this. I think I want to sell. And then I said, like, you understand, like, then you are going to have to hit quota. And these are the things that you're going to need to do. And they had no way to know if they could. And so there were some use cases that we were seeing happen over and over, just people wanting to see like, do I have it? Do I truly understand it? So when he came to me and said, I have this idea, I want you to help me build it. And would you be able to tell me and like craft, if you were going to hire someone coming in, what would you want them to know already before they ever walk in the building? And that's how we sat down and built the course. How could I prepare people before in a way that would work with lots of different types of companies, but would give them that foundation that they needed so that if their resume didn't look like what I wanted it to look like, that I could know they could still do the work and prove competency. And they knew already what I wanted them to know before they walked in. When you kicked off and you had it ready to go and the product's ready, what's the initial go-to-market strategy? First thing, we, we weren't sure if we had the right content. So literally, you know, it was like, we got to get people in this and we got to see if they are competent. So number one was the content proving what we were hoping to see at the end. Could they actually put it to work? So our course, for those that don't know, it's, you know, coursework and material, and then they get to the end and they actually have to take an assessment. So it's multiple choice, but more importantly than that, it's a bunch of role-playing. So taking concepts and then role-playing and um, it's all in product. So they have to learn how to use technology, which is again, one of the, one of the things that we want to make sure people can do if they're coming into a software company. So there's a lot of different ways that we test for these things. The first thing was, I don't know if it's going to turn out the product, which the product is the people. And can I then sell them? Like, I didn't know if, could they do the work? And I was like, "Mm." I didn't even know what the, what the pass rate would be as far as like, if I score them out at this percentage on this rubric and scorecard, what's the correct percentage that they should have to hit in order to be competent. So I'm creating a product called person who is a learner and can they actually make it work? So the first thing was, 
figure out if this thing works, if they can do the work, if they're hireable, and if when they're hireable, they can actually do the job and do it well. So all of that was really trying to test the product. You know, would it work? We got it right. Like only had to remove one class because we were seeing drop off. You know, we were watching people getting through and then dropping off. So we had to remove one class that wasn't quite getting the value. Then we saw, you know, more people going through and it working. And then we had our first four of them hired. And then we were watching and I was getting a lot of feedback. Like, how's it going? How are they ramping? How are they, you know, assimilating? Do they understand the business, the business of SaaS? And those four did very well. So then once they started, I, I felt more confident that we were getting what we needed. And then COVID happened. Launched October 2019. We were building everything. And that's when we launched the first course. And then we had people going through it. We had them testing. I was failing a lot of people, nervous, like, oh my gosh, if I'm failing them, I don't have a product, but also I really don't think they can do it. And then giving them guidance. It was fascinating to watch the whole process. Got the first four placed right in Q1. And it was like, okay, we have, I think we have a good product market fit for this. And then March happened, March, 2020. And then it was like the whole, you know, now I'm literally trying to convince people to hire our inexperienced reps when there was just a flood of very experienced reps on the market now because they had just gotten laid off. So it was a, it was a big shift that we had to do at that point. So what are those first few phone calls that you're making to try and sell this concept to companies? What, what were those like? I went to the people that knew me. So they knew, you know, um, I went to people in my network and said like, Hey, will you look at our people? And will you tell me like, you know, take them through a hiring process. I, we didn't charge them for them, you know, right away. We, we were just seeing like, would this work? What we did is we tested pricing. We tested, um, you know, is it, should we do it this way? Should we do a monthly fee? Should we do a one per what's the, what's the per hire fee need to look like? You know, so we had to test. I sold the first few deals all differently. So right. <laughs> and some of them I'm still fulfilling on the same way that I sold them the very first ones. So, um, so it was testing pricing, essentially packaging right. and, and all of those things. Yeah. How successful was your first batch that went through Aspireship? Good. They actually, really? yeah. So, um, all of them stayed for, I think the shortest stint was about nine months. All of them, other Others were well beyond a year in role, which is very good for especially think about the time that it was. So they didn't get, none of them got laid off either. So even through, you know, when people were getting laid off and all of those times, like they were staying. What we found is when everything, all the big companies started doing a lot of those big major layoffs and things like that, we went down market because the companies that were smaller still needed one person. They needed just one. They didn't need 10. So they would say, Christine, the person that we just hired, awesome. She's awesome. But like, I have three other people that I kind of want to take it to, but I know if I put them in your program, you're going to try to place them if they pass. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. So they said, could you just like, let us use the training. And that's how we started developing, you know, additional, additional product. Now we can actually help develop people internally in teams as well. And also the leaders like it because I'm saying things like don't be a giant victim and they don't have to. You know, so literally like in the pro in our coursework, we talk about the ownership mentality and what it takes to be a team player and things that sometimes we want to say as senior leaders of a company, but it's hard sometimes to say those things in a way that people feel energized by. But if I'm saying it, it 
like it helps. I mean, that's got to be gratitude. That's got to fill your cup up. Oh yeah. It's huge. I mean, I got a, we got a note on Monday from one of our candidates and he said, Hey, I just want to let you guys know I hit up first, my first quarter and Q3 was his first quarter. He had 155% to goal. He said, wow. you guys changed my life. And that was just I mean, I have chills. It was like so gratifying to hear. I got chills too. Yeah. And, and you guys have all these thank you notes posted all over the office, right? It's that rocket fuel for Aspire so Show. So fun. It's so fun. Like that's one of my most favorite things is just because it is absolutely hitting people and you're changing people's lives in a, and they're changing their own lives. I mean, we're a little part of it, but it's so amazing to be able to, it's just really gratifying to just see. Just to give them that inertia to get them started. And belief. Like that's the other thing. Because sometimes, you know, we all know you can be telling everybody how confident, how great you are. But if you really don't know it, sometimes people just don't know. And so when I say you passed, you can do this job. I, not everybody passes, but you did. Then that gives them the confidence to say like, I know I can win this job. You know, so I think that helps a lot because not everybody passes. I think what's interesting is that it's such a unique basket of candidates that you're pulling from. Yeah. I, there was a Wall Street Journal article that re referenced Aspireship a couple months mm -hmm. ago because you were taking all these teachers mm -hmm. and helping them re-career for sales. And yeah. that's not something now, after the fact, with all the success you've had with it, you can kind of see how that lines up, but I'm sure initially it's like teachers, can they sell? And then that's the thing is I think we are bumping up against this established way of thinking around salespeople are this way or have this background and really it's just wide and, and broad and there's so many things and it's about their competency. Like, can they put it together? Do they get it? Do they understand how to, I mean, we used to say, do you have to get the gab? Do you have to get the gab? You know? And, and yes, you have to have some of that, but also you just need like the foundational layers to make it make sense. And also, are you enthusiastic about this work, which a lot of people can do something, but really the people that make the most money and thrive, they are enjoying it. They like those adrenaline hits. They're interested in learning more. They are curious. And these are things that come from all types of backgrounds and level of education. And, um, it's, it's fascinating to see. I never, I mean, we've, we've placed barbers, we've placed professors of history, we've placed, um, personal trainers. We, I mean, we've, when you look at people's backgrounds, we placed a physical therapist, a doctor of physical therapy. He's actually a doctor wow. and he's working in software. And, um, because he just got done with that life. He did not want to do that anymore. And he's super happy and doing amazing. But I think what people don't realize is what they're also getting is this back end. Some of the things you do online and Aspireship does as a company in terms of this social selling. Mm -hmm. Like if I go into a community event, when I go to Thursday night sales, there's dozens of people who went to Aspireship there. When I talk to sellers who are kind of not in, in the forefront of let's say LinkedIn or, or communities, what an opportunity that is. Well, and one of the things that I love about it is is we have a, once you're a graduate of Aspireship or a member, so we have people that are still going through that are, that are working through it and still, you know, kind of in our membership community, there's a community and people are helping each other out. So we have a Slack community and it's fun because, you know, we're kind of just moderating and watching, but they're all talking together like, Hey, I got, I'm getting ready to do my project and I'm nervous about this. Does anybody have any tips? And, you know, we're just kind of standing back and saying, you know, and rooting you on and excited for this, but seeing that they are working together now in a community that they didn't have before. One of the things I want to talk to you about is events. Yeah. And how to 
mobilize, strategize, and activate at events. You and I have been to a couple of events together. Mm -hmm. I just went through a gauntlet in September. I went to Inbound, Saster, and Dreamforce. Mm -hmm. As a president and COO, what are the things that you are thinking about to mobilize your team when you're going to an event like that? So I've gone before to events, and sometimes it's me and like one other person. This time it was just me. We did not have a booth. So I went there as an attendee for the purposes of meeting my clients, current clients. So this was a great way for me to touch base with many people that I knew would be there that are current clients of mine. Secondly, it was about meeting some of the prospects. And because uh, <laughs> they have booths, a lot of them, it's kind of easy to walk up and and you know, talk to them and say like, oh, you know who I'm talking to? So-and-so, you know, at your company. So I, you do a little pre-work on that. So, you know, you're able to walk up to the booth right. looking at, I mean, I had a little map and I had everybody circled that I wanted to make sure I, I went over and talked to. And then one other thing that I didn't really think about prior, but ended up happening. And it was like a beautiful thing. We kind of saw it the first day. I was with a couple of other people that were there from their businesses as well. So I'll give you a good example, Christina Brady from Sales Assembly. So she and I have known each other from LinkedIn. I've been on her podcast before. She's amazing. Amy Volus and Taryn and Morgan Ingram, a couple other people that I know uh, predominantly from LinkedIn. What we did is we don't compete. So we don't have any like competition between us, but between us, we knew a lot of people. Yes, so did. what we did was kind of cross-pollinate a bit. We were able to kind of utilize different people along the way. And so she was going to one dinner and we went to the booth. And as we went to, it was a shift paradigm and Adobe dinner that they were sponsoring. She was already there. And she just, they said, well, Christine, why don't you come? You know? And so she's like, yes, this will be good. So we, it was wonderful to be able to have people that you trust and people that you're with to, and then kind of using that to network, you just open up your network even more. And that ended up being really powerful and also a lot of fun. But let's say now as a mm -hmm. leader, you're sending two of your team members yeah. to an event who maybe don't have that same visibility of some of the people you just mentioned. What are you telling them to do? I would suggest the same thing. So if you can find out who else, you know, maybe a, maybe a client's going, maybe um, somebody that you partner with on something else or you sponsor with is going to be there and say like, Ooh, I have some people that I think I could introduce to you. Would that be beneficial? And coordinate a bit before you go so that you have a little bit of a game plan. You know, one of the recruiters that was there actually Captivate Talent. His name is Chris Gannon. He had a booth and um, he does roles that I, I don't work on. And so literally he came and found me in the middle of the show. I was like, I have a lead for you. We can all be like competing or we can work together. Like good begets good. And, and we don't have to be trying to like, you know, bloody each other on the battlefield all the time. If we can work together and create like more for everyone, I just think why not? Like, that's the way to be. Pre-sales minute. Wait, are we still calling it pre-sales? And is pre-sales hyphenated? Are we capitalizing the S? Okay, so for now, it's just pre-sales, right? Yes? No? Okay, whatever. Hey, Mr. Cohen, how are you? I am vertical. How about yourself? Peter Cohen from Great Demo. Peter, thanks for joining us today. Christine and I have been talking about events, and I want to know from your perspective... How should sales engineers approach events? Because 
Should they be in there opening up conversations? Should they be, you know, trying to do demos on their phones? What does that look like from your perspective, Pete? <clears throat> so first, I would say embrace these events with great joy, because it's been about two, two and a half years where most of us were sitting in front of Zoom screens uh, hour after hour. The opportunity to actually shake hands, meet people, see what they look like, hear their voices, see the backs of their heads. <laughs> this is terrific. With respect to conferences and trade shows, um, engage the audience directly. So think in terms of audiences not being passive, but the opportunity to actually riff off of them, engage them, use volunteers to actually act as willing or unwilling participants, whether or not you're doing demos, presenting a talk, um, a presentation or related. That's a start. Should I uh, go a little further? Peter, you can just talk all day. I just love listening to you. <laughs> That's, my wife has never said that, strangely enough. <laughs> Uh, when you're in a booth or a stand, as they say in the UK, use the menu approach. So for organizations that have a range of different offerings, contemplate listing out, uh, let's say, the challenges that they address in a menu that could be um, either articulated verbally or even posted up behind the uh, demo booth themselves. That way somebody comes up and asks, well, what do you do? As opposed to having to go through a classic, we help our customers, blah, 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 and put that person to sleep. You say, well, here, take a look at this. There's a list of seven areas where we've helped organizations solve the following kinds of problems. Which of these are most interesting to you? What a delightful approach because Right away, the prospect can choose what's of most interest and probably highest priority to him or her, enabling you mutually to drill down into a brief discovery conversation, from which then you can make a mutual decision, should we do a brief vision generation demo? So I really love that approach of, of here's here are some really interesting things that we can talk about. One thing I was going to ask you, Peter, is what I have really enjoyed, and I, and I want to know if this is common or not, is when I'm going by a booth and I actually see one of the engineers doing a demo and they're doing it on a screen where I can watch as a um, engaging, even just as a passerby. How do you think about that, I guess? Let me ask that question. <clears throat> There's a lot of factors in that, that what you just mm -hmm. described. Most trade show booth duty personnel, uh, pre-sales folks, sales folks, marketing folks, they stick in their booth. They stand right at a demo station or the yeah. reception station, and people flow by kind of glancing and looking. And it's fascinating because very often people that are looking in the booth are kind of interested, but they're unsure whether or not they're comfortable to engage. Because if you walk up to a demo station as a prospect, you know you're going to be addressed by a salesperson or something similar. So people are cautious. So let me introduce the backside attack, which comes from chemistry. It's called SN2, so don't get any bad ideas about this. But the way it works very simply is you're in your booth. You notice there's a person standing sort of on the periphery uh, in the hallway. What you do is you sort of walk around uh, sideways and then you sidle up sideways watching that same screen, for example. And then you lean over and you simply say, hey, does this look interesting or some other similar kind of gentle introduction? You begin a conversation and then you've actually engaged this person out in the periphery of the booth and you can, can make a mutual decision. Hey, would you like to come in and take a little closer look at this? It's a much more comfortable approach 
than the traditional approach of there's sort of like a one over R squared math function of, of the closer you get to the booth, the harder it is for the prospect to decide to engage. Does, does that resonate? It's called backside attack. It does, Peter. And every time I talk to you, I have to go Google a lot of words afterwards. So I'm, excited <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I don't know Let's if backside approach is safe for work to Google. So just probably... <laughs> Just be, just be cautious. Let's talk about handoffs because you, the scenario you described is so, so typical. Salesperson is, uh, grabs a prospect from the floor, drags him or her into the booth, takes him or her up to a demo station and says, show this person a demo. And the, uh, the, the pre-sales person at the demo station has no clue what this person wants to see, what's going on or anything. And so generally has to go through a very a basic set of discovery questions. What's your job title? What are you here for? What are you hoping to accomplish? Are you looking for anything in particular? However, the sales team or anyone who is, if you will, scavenging people out in the hallway and bringing them into the booth can do a little bit of discovery and a very elegant and professional thing to do is what is called a handoff. So I'm a salesperson and I have just brought Nick into the booth to present um, a demo to him, I would, and you're the, the pre-sales person, I would say, hey, Nick, here is pre-sales person such and such. Uh, Nick here is interested in blah, blah, blah. He's the blah, blah, blah of uh, business development at XYZ Corporation. What he shared with me so far is he has struggles with X, Y, and Z. Number one, the prospect feels like the initial interaction was productive and, and he or she felt heard. Number two, the pre-sales person's got some real and substantive information to work from. And number three, it's just comfortable for all the parties. It's an elegant and professional way to do things. Do you suggest that the sales rep stay there or walk away? That's really dependent on the nature of the booth duty. Um, some reps are actually tasked to go and bring people into the booths and they are or into the booth. And so they're 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 tracking their progress. I brought 52 people to the booth today. Conversely, it might be um, a prospect that's that's in his or her territory that's very important, in which case you want to stay with that person. So this is situational. Peter, I got to fly in here from Trinidad, California, because I think you and I are going to have a great conversation. <laughs> exactly. Peter Cohen from greatdemo.com. Also, there's a new book out, Doing Discovery, the single most important element of software sales and buyer enablement processes. Peter, thank you so much. That was great as always, Powell. We're gonna. This is gonna be a regular thing. I got news for you. You can't say no to me. One of the things that kind of makes me nuts is the opportunity you spend all this money on on a booth. Yeah. And then it kind of looks the same as everyone else's, right? Maybe mm -hmm. a little different logo, a little bit of different colors, but everyone's kind of reserved, pulled back. I'm painting with a broad brush, but this is my experience at events, and I always think of an event as a huge opportunity to really stand out. Yeah. If everyone is zigging, then mm -hmm. zag. And mm -hmm. I think. There still needs to be an activation as mm. opposed to just kind of pulling pulling people to you, right? Mm -hmm. When I put my, um, you know, attendee hat on, it is the things that kind of catch my eye, but more it, it, so it's unique. So I know one was uh, doing one of the booths was doing kind of caricatures of people, and then they were um, they had them um, printable for the back of their. Um, you know, lanyard and their name tag. So it was like a sticker, you know, that went on there. It was so cool. So, um, that was very unique and very fun to see. So that was, um, I, I love when you kind of get drawn, drawn into that. 
also it was effective because you're actually sitting there while somebody is drawing you and you at least have six minutes because that's how long this artist was. She was doing it right there. And then it was, it was up on a screen. So those walking by could see her. Well, the person sitting couldn't see what the, you know, what it was looking like, but everybody else was like, Oh my gosh, it's so cool. So it was like an experience. And also it was six minutes. So she's sitting there the other, the, the rep was there just chatting with her, not overselling, not doing different, you know, making it uncomfortable, but just chatting with her while she was sitting for, for it. And I thought, this is really smart. This was really smart because it is something and everybody else, I was sitting there watching, <laughs> she was having it drawn. So it was amazing. I think another thing that I saw at Stash in particular that I thought was really smart was Scratchpad had these big deal energy baseball hats. Yeah. Which yeah. first of all is is, is smart. Cute. Whoever put yeah. that together was, yeah. was, was that was a great idea. But I think what they were doing was they were either giving them out or incentivizing people at other booths to wear these big deal energy hats. They were everywhere. Mm-hmm. I saw them too. Yeah. So you couldn't miss them. They're they they were really bright also. So I think that that mattered. Um, and people were like, where'd you get that? Where'd you get that? You know, because it is nice little pun kind of, um, that makes everybody think something a little naughty and it's funny. So like, uh, that's like perfect for salespeople, you know, <laughs> like we just love all that. And so it was, it was, everybody wanted one. So I thought, it, I really thought that was very effective too. I also loved sales loft and that whole team when they were making shirts, I liked that customization. And again, anything that takes a little bit of time, um, then you can talk with other people and it, and it allows it to feel more comfortable and natural than awkward. And you're standing, trying to pull people into a booth bec- and you have a beer koozie. Well, Will's on. Oh, Will's oh, oh hey, hi. Okay, hold on. He's doing stuff. I don't know what he's doing. He's trying to make this other camera work. Oh, he's got his big, okay. He has his big deal energy hat on. Oh, a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> we already talked about it. I love that you're wearing the big deal energy hat because that's what we've been talking about today is actually Saster yep. and events and, and stuff like that. But uh, some news broke this morning on LinkedIn. Christina, I don't know if you've seen this what? yet. Do you know what Will did post Saster? No. He got a f-ing tattoo of one of the companies. He did a, a, a logo contest. Will, can we actually see the tattoo? Um, yeah, my camera's a bit high, so let me get on a chair and I'll, I'll give I'll give you a. Sneak oh peek. God, what's happening? How low is it? I hope it's not. Too, I hope it's. Uh, uh, we say tramp stamp. Uh, on you the- got a tramp stamp? Yeah, let me get up on the chair here. This is a bit much. For a, oh like, Jesus, I'm nervous. That is the uh, the scratch pad logo right there. Okay, I don't even know what. To- so basically, I'm wearing a scratch pad hat. And I'm now tramp. I'm now inked. You know how most people normally have equity in a SaaS company? Yeah. A SaaS company now has equity on my body. So. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so. One percent, I reckon. Aggressive. Uh, that's so aggressive. It's Will. so thick as well. It, honestly, I was gonna go smaller, and they're like, "Hey, look, there's a minimum charge for tattoos. You may as well, if you make it bigger, we won't charge you extra." I was like, "All right, well, I guess we're here going all in. Let's uh, let's double the size of it." And now, both myself and my wife. Thoroughly regret that decision. Those are some thick lines. <laughs> oh yeah, that, that had to be a little, little, little tender, a little so, spicy. So when I was doing the tour back in June, I we thought about internally: should I like do a post that if we get a certain amount of likes and engagement, do I get a demo stack tattoo? And I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't. But I, I work for demo stack. Will yeah, fucking scratch pad tattoo. 
And you don't work for Scratchpad. I've also now made my hiring. I can never work for, for any company in that entire category, I don't think now. Oh my God, I can't believe that. Oh, this is great. Will, you were shooting content nonstop at Saster. How do you leverage that going forward for what you're doing, Will? My mindset when it comes to events like Saster, they bring a lot of the right people into the right place at the same time. And typically when it comes to making content, there's only so much one person can do. Eventually the audience is gonna get bored and I'm gonna run out of things to say. So when I see an event like Saster, you get all these great names in one spot, that is an opportunity to start making some content right there. And typically you might have to reach out to people, do virtual interviews and that kind of stuff. But frankly, most people don't have very good webcams, like the, the, the three of us, we look great right now, right? Um, but most people don't have high, high quality audio equipment. So going to them almost is, is saving a ton of work. The team and I, we, we grouped up, we said, here, here, Will's going to this event for three days, what can we get out of this? And we came in, you know, three or four videos we wanted to make. And while I was there, it was just 100% recording, making content the whole time. I liked, just as an observer of how you were doing it too, the energy is high. You can tell everybody felt really comfortable and not like, you're on, say this, don't say this. It was just very loose and it, but it, the content was sharp. So I, I thought you did a great job. You always do a great job, Will. Dark social and social selling are like big buzzy words right now. And a lot of people are trying to get their head around it, but there's a lot of people who are effectively leveraging those techniques. How do you take content from an event like Saster and then apply it to a social selling strategy? From a social selling strategy, it's just another opportunity to build brand, but also potentially ride on the audience of other people as well. So a lot of the videos I made relied on the brands that were there, the other kind of thought leaders who were there as well. And by, by getting involved with those people and making them part of my content, that exposes me to their audience as well. So it's going broad. If I was really being targeted, then I would make a point to go and talk to the, the prospects maybe, or the vendors who I might be trying to sell to and, and make them part of my content it's a natural conversation that isn't what well, i'm trying to sell you it's hey i'm here to make some content with you and by involving all those brands what happened was those main brands that ended up in that video that i made about who had the best trade show they shared it amongst all their teams so we got you know a few hundred views from each company that we featured in that and that exposed us to the right audience because my audience is sales, sales reps and new sales reps would want to watch that uh, both for the pitch element of it if you haven't seen the video we had some people do a pitch off so they might learn a thing or two, but also just for the fact that most people don't have the minerals to put a video like that together because it is, there is some tension when you make people compete like that uh, and you judge people, right? So yeah, that, that, was, that was my mindset. And you and I spent a lot of time together at that event and oftentimes there was a lineup of people wanting to talk to you. So the, the content-led growth of what you're doing for, you know, sales feed and Vidyard, I think is really interesting. People recognize you. You make videos. Nick, it happened to you a bunch of times as well. I'm sure, Christine, you probably, you were there and you probably got recognized by a whole bunch of people as well. It's an awkward conversation because you don't know them and they come up mm -hmm. to you, but that's, that's just showing the power of showing up on, on things like this, really. Being on video, people at this point know what I look like from every angle. So that's why I'm a really big fan of video content because you, you wrote another face. Whereas if you're just writing text posts, then what you see is really just the little LinkedIn thumbnail, which isn't very big. So that's why, that's why I'm a big fan of video. It lets people get to know you personally. Um, but when people did come up to me and say, yo, Will, what's up? I was then, hey, do you want to be in a video? And then I got like a little mini testimonial about why they should mm -hmm. follow myself in sales feed for my employer. And boom, that's more social proof for us. I think what was interesting too, Will, was that for you, there's that awkward conversion into the conversation, right? Because because you, you live in a small town in Canada, so it's it's a little, but I'm always at these events. When people come up to me, for me, it's a lot easier to just kind of transition right into that, hey, let me turn the camera on and, and get them ready. Right. So you rated a lot of swag, Will, at Saster. 
who had the best swag other than Demostack and Aspireship, of course. Demostack got me a little ring light clip for my phone, which as a TikToker, I love it. Um, Scratchpad have a great hat. Payhawk did an incredible job. I don't have the hoodie near me right now, but they had custom airbrushed hats, hoodies. Oh yeah, uh, I remember that. Whatnot. They had a guy there who was an airbrush artist and you just select which item you want and then you say how you want it to be customized and then he would do a design with the colors and whatnot. So good, obviously anything custom to me really stands out, which is why like the outreach cookies with your face on it, that's cool. It also lined me up for a great joke about me being a snack. Um, the, the Calendly hats that you could have so your name printed on there, up to eight characters at least. So anything custom I think really stands out and it's something that I would actually want to keep afterwards. And then the other side is quality. So like this hat, it's, you know, it's got a, it's got a lid under here. I actually ordered another hat from this company because I like the style of this hat so much. Mm. It's embroidered, it's great materials. So the things that stand out to me are great quality and customizing them. Will, where do we find the sales feed newsletter? Salesfeedmedia.com. Salesfeed.com was taken, so we had to add media to the bomb. <laughs> Will, appreciate you so much, Will Aiken. You definitely need to follow him on TikTok as well as LinkedIn. We'll appreciate you today. So good seeing you. You too. Cheers. So especially mm -hmm. at Saster, you're in you're in San Mateo, so you're not quite in the city. Mm -hmm. I know at Dreamforce, there was a lot more dinners, but you had more of a captive audience opportunity. There was some great parties. Chili Piper always throws great parties. But what really impressed me was what uh, the Wills did yeah. from Lavender yeah. and how they activated mm -hmm. their parties. Because everyone that I talked to was like, well, I'm going to the Lavender party, then I'm going to the Chili Piper party. Mm -hmm. And it's important to note, Lavender didn't have a booth, mm -hmm. but they had a lot of buzz. How did they do it? They had an exclusive, they called it an exclusive rave. So they had a party that was co-sponsored, I believe, by one of their partners. And so the, people knew about that and anybody who partners with them or customers or whatever knew about that first party. So, um, but then what they had, they were all wearing these very <laughs> like capes and wizardry. It was, I wizard did, costumes. it was very, so it stood out at Saster. They were wearing these things and then they were passing out these like a mixed tape CD. And it was like, you, here is the information and it had a QR code on it. So I didn't even know where this exclusive rave of the night after was going to be until I did that little QR code. So it was very, um, it made it feel like only certain people will be there. Like what's happening. We, nobody kind of knew what was going on. All we knew was it was like a wizard rave at an Irish pub. Nobody knew <laughs> what was going on. So it was, I, I mean, it had a little bit of mystery to it and also a feeling like if I am invited to this, then it's exclusive. I should definitely go, you know? So you had a, a feeling of probably FOMO if you weren't there. I got there and the line was all the way down the block. Yeah, it was very effective. I thought the way that they did it. And the fact was the entire time, everyone was talking over the two days about Lavender because of those events. Every conversation was, hey, what are you doing later? Lavender and Chili Piper. Mm -hmm. So how many times was the name mm -hmm. Lavender dropped? Yeah, tons. There were lots of different people that were there. So it made for great conversation. We actually were talking even over the music and things and getting to know people. I mean, you and I both know so much business happens outside of business, yes. you know, and having fun and connecting with people like that brings you to a different level of the relationship and trust. We might be a little bit more loose if we have a drink in our hand. It's all right. Like we're, we're going to extend trust to each other and not be worried about, um, you know, if, if my mouth is a little bit more expressive than typically what I would be. <laughs> 
a regular event, we know. Hey, there's Will. Hey. Oh, hi. Oh, it's so good to see you. How are you doing, buddy? Yeah. Seeing y'all both in person, I'm loving this. Oh my gosh, we were just talking about you. Well, I'd hope so. I'm coming on. Am I allowed to? Am I allowed to curse? Yes. Okay. Worst case, we'll bleep it out. Will, what is your title? Because you're just kind of ubiquitously the Wills at Lavender. <laughs> That's perfect. I mean, I'm a co-founder. Uh, I think my technical title is COO, but yeah, I do a good bit of everything. You had to think about that. <laughs> <laughs> a little too often. <laughs> So, Will, Christine and I have been talking about events specifically and some of the things we saw at Saster. We've mm -hmm. been gushing about how well you activated the parties that you threw. Where did that idea come from? It, it's actually kind of a funny story. So the parties weren't really on the agenda until a few days prior to Saster. The original plan was, yeah, still to dress like wizards, be loud, do that sort of thing. We posted a picture of, it was Dorothy, posted a picture of her packing up her swag in Phoenix. And I get a call from Brian over at Saster and he goes, you, you guys know you're not allowed to distribute that within the property, right? And I was like, wait, what? He's like, yeah, you're not a sponsor. You can't do that. And I was like, that makes sense. Okay. Um, I got to go have some phone calls. <laughs> so... I call Will and he's like, oh, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> and just like, it spirals real quickly into, okay, well, let's figure out what we're gonna do. Okay, we need to have an event where we're gonna put this together. We're gonna do this. And we've been talking with Correlated about putting together a happy hour, sort of spun on top of that. And we're like, well, there's also this like big gap within like the time frame of when folks are having parties we just saw this white space after 9 p.m on wednesday and so we're like let's just do both if we can't like do all the things that we want to do at saster let's do some of the things that we want to do outside of saster casey our cto um my co-founder casey so people know the wills but they don't know the third within the trifecta which is casey casey is the yeah, the wizard behind the curtain within Oz, right? He's building the machine. Um, and so it, it was kind of funny how we all like fell into our roles where Casey and Animesh from engineering are like building out this party idea. And, you know, Will and I are working through like the marketing, like the marketing side, like how are we actually going to like promote said event? And then something you said within, uh, I think it was like an early TikTok you put together, which is like, get in the f***ing aisle, right? Get in front of them and be like in their face. And so Josh and Dorothy, they were one-to-one -one being like, are you coming? Like, you know, here's you know, your invite. And so what we did was we made like a mixtape of our Lavender Dust song with a bunch of different like remixes of it. We just did that on like Fiverr. It doesn't cost much to do those kinds of things. <laughs> and so like we came up with like a like physical item that we could give people. So it was like a mix of all these different things coming together. Uh, and really just the team working together on making these things happen. So well, yeah. a week later or two weeks later, what is the results of that party? It's a good question. Um, so that was like the, the big thing that we were trying to figure out is, does this actually turn into revenue? Because <laughs> you invest a lot into swag, into the events, into the promotion, into getting like DJs and all these different aspects, like the bar tab. People at Sasser for some reason really love like high quality tequila, right? It's like these things add up pretty quickly. 
like, where's the return on this? We've gotten a few really solid conversations started out of these efforts. We looked at the year prior. So I came solo for Saster the year before. So like step one was just me on the ground solo. We got an angel investor out of that. We got our biggest client to date after that. And every single one of our clients that we met with expanded their contract size. So we're like, we know this works. We got to put ourselves out there. And we got to do this. And so for this one, we brought the whole team and we decided to just like go all in on it. So far, there's some really strong signals that the return is going to be uh, pretty solid. <laughs> uh, that's amazing. But there was, you know, once it was sold out, there was conversations happening like on the event mm. floor at Sasser. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I, I, did, I didn't think to register for the event. Well, can I still go? Mm -hmm. So FOMO, buddy. It's oh. all about FOMO, Will. Yeah, apparently, we're, you need to lean into that a little bit more because it was pretty successful. You leaned well. That was a good lean. Christine, when you're <laughs> okay, training yeah. uh, new sellers at Aspireship, how does a tool like Lavender help when it comes to emailing? Well, we partner with Lavender. So uh, Will's amazing and every grad gets a free version of Lavender. So they're able to get in there, use Lavender in order to help you craft these emails. And so we absolutely believe that this is a tool that should be, um, that should be used by everyone. And also I think it's interesting for Will because as they get hired, they're going into companies and saying, oh yeah, I use Lavender. And then they become a nice little evangelist, you know, for, for the company as well. We preach all the time to be using lavender. Well, isn't it great well, when someone actually does a better promo for your product than you do? <laughs> it's funny because I'm such an advocate for Aspireship and what they're doing. Um, because when we originally got started, we, we wanted to give the product to job seekers. And so when I got connected to Christine, it was like a no brainer. I'm like, how can we do more stuff together? Because cold email can open up so many doors when you're looking for a job. Will Allred, Lavender.ai. Appreciate you, pal. Yeah, appreciate y'all. Thanks for having me in. Events. We know you're busy, but these are the events worthy of an on-hold in your calendar. And bonus, your boss will think you're using your time wisely. So let's talk about some of the can't-miss events that are happening this week across the internet in our space one is definitely Thursday night sales. Uh, I don't make it every week, but I try to go a lot. Why do you got to be at Thursday night sales? It is the place for people to connect who are trying, I mean, marketers, uh, a lot of people in customer success, anybody that's getting into sales or has been in sales for a long time. It is a happy hour that is you can come ask questions. It's a safe space to do. And a lot of times, you know, you get into your company and you're, you don't know, is this something that happens everywhere? Is this something that's just happening here? Um, how do I maybe have a conversation um, that is uncomfortable with my leader? And you're able to ask questions. So it's hosted by Scott Lee and Amy Volus, and they are they have very different backgrounds, but are both very well versed. And I think people would consider them sales influencers. They are very strong. Um, also, no, no this business very well. So, um, have a lot of expertise. And I mean, I've seen everything coming through from, you know, I first attended cause I wanted to hear what were people asking, what were new people, especially new people in sales needing to know, knowing, you know, our business. And then I just fell in love with it and have been a part of it ever since because it's powerful and, um, people know each other from that. 
And this space is a big, small world. So you create a community of people that have um, trust for each other, care for each other, truly, truly wanting what's best for each other. And then, you know, there's more opportunity, more possibility for everyone. One of the best party throwers that I've discovered this year has been uh, John Barrow's team, Sell Better by JB Sales. Um, they've got three events coming up this week. They've got one October 12th in LA, October 13th in Denver, and October 18th in Austin. They throw a really good party. I've been to two of them in Atlanta and in Boston. So that is an absolute cat miss. Event that I will be attending this week. This is interesting. Listen, mm. listen to this. October okay. 13th, Salesforce and the Harris Consulting Group are hosting a webinar a no pressure closing. Bilal Batrawi, Ian Koniak, Chantel George, and Donald C. Kelly. That's a good group. That is a. It's a very good strong group. group. Yeah, it's a strong yeah. group. So put that on your calendar for October thirteenth. Don't miss. The, don't miss that. Uh, Modern Sales Pros yep. is having a RevX Fest the week of October eleventh to thirteenth. Also on the thirteenth, I am doing a LinkedIn Live with Chris Bogue. So that might just go sideways very quickly. <laughs> High likelihood of it going sideways. How do you feel when your team members? or attending events like this? I highly encourage them to attend events, especially if you're wanting to grow and learn in, 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 in this space or in other spaces. I love it. Um, one of my, uh, Amy just started a group called better together and it's specifically around, you know, new jobs and career and, career advice and different things like that. And one of my team uh, members came to me and he said, Christine, I'd really like to go and be a part of this community because I think it would be really beneficial for me to learn from Amy and also to hear what other people that are career transitioners or, you know, wanting to up level so they can get to the next, you know, the next spot for them in the progression path of their career. And I said, yes, of course, like I will sponsor this. Like if it's, if it's a monthly fee or whatever, this is amazing. And I, I want you, the only caveat to that is I need you to share. I want you to share with our team. Christine, <laughs> I'm so grateful that you came and did this first episode with us here. Episode one to go to market this week. Uh, follow Christine on LinkedIn, come to Thursday night sales. If you know anyone trying to break in, to SaaS, either on the sales side or customer success, mm -hmm. aspireship.com. Thank you. I just had so much fun. I'll do this anytime. Anytime. Thanks so much. Please follow us across all of DemoStack's social media. We'll see you next week. I didn't have a heart attack. Woo!